0: Hello, folks. I'm John Murphy. Welcome to On the Home Front today. Our program will be in three segments. Uh, first, we're going to begin with the good people at the Bradley Playhouse. They're opening a chorus line on August 4th. And we have the director and two cast members with us to launch the show. For the second half, we're going to have people from Click, the cooperatively licensed community kitchen. That is an organization that's a small business food incubator. And they have some events happening this summer we're going to talk about. And then for the third part, we're going to focus on uh, the whole issue of maternal uh health care and care for the newborn we've had a series of programs on recently about changes in hospitals in terms of health care delivery there is a very big hearing in hartford today we're going to talk about the hearing and share some audio with you for the third part of the show right now though we are going to focus on the bradley once again it's always nice to talk about live theater right here in our region in the putnam area and we have uh, to, uh, a, a cast member, Brenna Griswold, is with us. She plays Cassie in the cast of *A Chorus Line*. And sitting next to me, we also have the director. Uh, his name is Aiden. Aiden Harrigan. Aiden, welcome to the show. Good to have you all in the studio. Good to be here. And now, through the magic of twenty-first century technology, we also have Mark Saron on the phone with us. He plays Zach as well in the play. And I think we yeah, have you here, going. Mark. Thank you very much. We can hear you fine. Great. Okay, so maybe we'll have the director blast off with us and talk about uh, how you came to choose this incredible material for your next effort. I guess it's your second time directing. So what made you want to jump into a, a piece with this kind of history?
1: Well, we were looking at the uh, the Bradley I I also serve on the board of the Bradley as well um, right and we were looking this year to do a, a theme of um, uh, screen to stage. Right. So all this year's, Productions were originally movies, and now we're we're bringing things to stage. So, um, we chose Chorus Line because uh, I mean it's a it's a favorite, iconic show. Yep, iconic, um, and it's just uh, it speaks to the individuality of everyone and how uh, we all have our own stories, which is my favorite part of the show
0: so i want to chat with the cast members in a a few seconds but since there's such a, a heart of music to the show uh how did you arrange for the staging and and kind of planning of the songs and the and the performances
1: um well luckily we have a a great uh musical director uh justin simone is with us uh and he has uh He's brought us through. I think we all get the chorus line song stuck in our heads from time to time, anyways. Sure. Um, but yes. then we also got so very lucky to have such a talented uh, uh, cast come out and audition, and we've pulled a few people in, and they are just uh, the the talent that we have has taken the the uh, taken the uh, <laughs> uh, the story and just run with it.
0: Well, you know, it's a situation that is eternal, that is about the presentation and how you live waiting to see if you got in or not and the process either way. But since we have Zach on the phone right now, actually it's Mark, but uh, they're calling him Zach lately. Uh, (laughs) So maybe talk about this huge character and why you chose this particular one and how it connects to your own experience.
2: Oh, thanks. Uh, Well, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be cast in this role. I, I have not done this show before, but Bradley was, was Slated to do it uh, About two decades ago uh-huh. And uh, I auditioned for it then And there just wasn't Enough of a turnout As far as Actors that can sing And dance And act So the show oh, got yeah. changed To a different show Which uh, which I was still a part of But I just kind of Felt that longing Like man I really want to do A Chorus Line It's just this iconic show And I, it was kind of On my bucket list Of shows I wanted to do uh-huh. So uh, I was really excited To hear it It was coming back And uh and when I, you know, when was cast as Zach, I was, I was thrilled. It's, it's a great part. He's a complex character, and um, I, I, I do get to be part of the singing and dan- dancing, but also um, just a lot of, a lot of great dialogue and a lot of interacting with the characters. They're really probably the only character who interacts with every other character, and uh, it's, it's just a, it's a real acting uh, opportunity for me that I'm just thrilled about.
0: How much time did you all have to do the run-throughs and the rehearsals and getting all your blocking and your rehearsals down? How'd that work out, time-wise? You could go on forever, but you know you put in a lot of time. People don't know how much. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, well, I wish it was forever. Um, we we uh, I believe we've had about ten or eleven weeks so far. Um, we have a few more weeks to go before August fourth, and we'll be putting in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, work in between there just to to get everything ship-shaped, But it's coming along great.
0: So once again, this is a chorus line August 4th to the 13th. If you want to follow their entire schedule, just go to thebradleyplayhouse.org, and you can get everything for the entire season. Now we have one more cast member here. Cassie is in the house, and this is Brenna Griswold. So welcome to the studio, Brenna. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. So maybe tell us a bit about the background that brought you to the Bradley, and how you're handling uh, the incarnation of Cassie, who's also a role. I'm not going to give away what happens to her in the end. but. Uh, <laughs> Some people have a happy ending and others don't, but that's all I'm going to say.
3: Yeah, well, I've been performing with the Bradley off and on since 2017. Uh-huh. Um, and I actually did this show elsewhere, and I did play Cassie. Um, and I was, uh, I've always been a dancer my whole life, but I hadn't been, uh, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't a singer, or at least not a musical theater singer. Uh-huh. And I've worked a lot over, you know, the past couple of years to get sort of up to, uh, up to snuff with, uh, vocally. And so I relate to Cassie a lot because her whole thing is that all she wants to do is dance. All she wants to do is dance and have a place to fit in, and I very much relate to that. So um, when I did the role the last time, I don't feel like it was uh, my best, and I'm excited to do my best this time. So it's sort of a little redemption for me as well.
0: <laughs> Something else I also wanted to ask you about is this has such a long history. There's, the, of course, the original theater, and then there's the film version. How did you play with those different storytelling forms when you have all the choices you want as a creative director?
3: Uh, well, I've looked at, for Cassie at least, I've looked at a lot of the different versions and taken the pieces that I like from the different actresses who have played Cassie and sort of combined them into one piece along with my individual take on some things as well. Right. Um, the 2006 revival that was on Broadway is my favorite version, and I think that's sort of where um, we have both sort of geared our, our mindset toward. Um, I, I absolutely love Charlotte D'Ambrose who played uh, Cassie in that production. Um, and so I base a lot of my Cassie off of her.
0: So as the director, what was your sense when you went into this of uh, how you were going to design it and as much control as you have over the actual presentation? But this is your second time directing this way, so it's a big experience, and I just wondered uh, how it feels for you and what your hopes are to do more of this good work.
1: Well, uh, an interesting thing about A Chorus Line is that it's set as an audition, um, which uh, I've come from an acting background and... Brenna does as well, Um, and we've all been on that empty stage with the white line auditioning. Um, So it's amazing how much you can do with an empty stage. Um, There's not so much um, a set as there is uh, the, uh, the actors make the story come alive. That's
0: right. Yeah, that's the dynamics. That, you know, the, it's kind of like uh, the story tells the set for each one.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, Mark, thanks for hanging in, uh, hanging in with sure. us on the phone here. Uh, with the other work that you've done, uh, what is your sense today of of like regional theater across the state? I've noticed in recent years there's more activity, but I wondered on the performing side, when you're the artist looking for places to work, what's it been like for you uh, as an artist, as a performer, looking at regional theater across Connecticut?
2: Well, it's, you know, the the pandemic certainly threw us all for a loop. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think it's made us appreciate live theater even more. Um, you know, I was cast in, in uh, the show Mamma Mia that the Bradley was going to do in uh, May of 2020. And we all know kind of what went down. Oh, around yeah. Then. Yep. So the show got canceled ultimately. And, it, and then, you know, theater was pretty much dark for a while. Oh, yeah. And I think it made us appreciate uh, just how important live theater is and how that experience of not only being an actor on stage, but being in the audience and being able to see actors in person and, and see live performances. It's really unlike anything else. I mean, and we all, we all love our movies and, and yeah. television, but there's just an, an additional, uh, experience that you get with live theater that you just, doesn't really not compare it to, to the other, the other forms of uh, entertainment really. So I think, uh, um being able to, to to do a live show again is I, I appreciate it more than ever before. And uh, I think the audiences are also coming out uh in appreciation because they they missed it when it when it was gone.
0: Well you know, something I wanna ask you all about too is the different ways people can get involved in theater. Uh you know Kind of beyond what you see on the stage when it happens when i've talked to the dionysus uh, folks from vernon or the wyndham theater guild folks there's a whole crew of volunteers that make everything happen that you know without their help that, like the actors don't have a world so i guess what i'm asking you in a general way is how can people get involved when they might be shy or hesitant or not think that some basic skills can be critical when you're doing theater and that these volunteers are opportunities for you to maintain continuity. People come and go, right? And how the theater can grow and get more plays. It might involve more, uh, maybe more demanding work.
1: Yeah, and the Bradley is a great place for um, you know getting involved, you know either on stage or off stage. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of volunteer positions as well, uh, like front of house things with ushering and. And uh, mm-hmm. box office and the concessions, uh, but then also, you know, if if you are not so much someone who wants to start on the stage, we are always looking for people back, back behind the curtain, uh, doing spotlights, running sound, uh, you know, moving set pieces, things like that. Um, but. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing like getting on that stage, in, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, and also set painters and set builders, uh, people to work in the costume shop who have sewing skills and who don't have sewing skills, organizational right. skills. So there really is space for everyone in this theater, regardless of what your talents or your skills may be. There's a place for you at the Bradley.
1: And some people don't know their talents or skills, and, and they find them at the, you know, they, they come and they say, oh, I really like painting the set or or building yeah. the set. So
0: that goes back to the days of the guilds, when there was an apprenticeship and that was your path. That was how you got into it through those things. So maybe one last question for the three of you is you started out the play with your initial version of what you might think it might take in its final form. Now that you're just a short time away from blasting off with it, did you have any surprises along the way or as the jello began to set with everything and the dynamics of the flow, were there any surprises along the way, or any or any unexpected challenges?
3: Well, this show is very much uh, like a puzzle. You know, there are a lot of different pieces that have to be learned and and worked on individually. And you don't realize the impact they have until all the pieces of of the puzzle come together, you know. And so it was very funny. um, And a lot of our actors joined us partway through the process. Uh, We had people join us, we had people leave. And so the cast has been sort of changing and developing. And so to be able to finally see some of the pieces come together and hear somebody's monologue that I hadn't heard before and realize just how funny or just how (laughs) heartfelt or impactful it is. It's yeah. been not so much of a surprise. Well, I guess you could say it's a pleasant surprise to see just how, how the show is developing when all those pieces that may not make sense come together and finally make sense.
0: All right. Well, just a couple of heads up for you for the rest of the season. Later, they have an evening of comedy on September 9th and November 11th. I love comedy. I go to Manchester sometimes for the Funny Bone. They have Scott Higgins and his Comedy All-Stars, a whole touring group. So that will be at the Bradley in September and November. And speaking of theater, the Adams Family, talk about a Halloween theme, October 6th to the 22nd. One of the great romances, right? Uh, Gomez and Morticia. (laughs) As only... Putnam can produce, let me tell you. Oh, yes. So we'll certainly look forward to having people back later in the season for that. So any last thoughts you wanted to share? Anything else about the experience that I haven't touched on?
1: I just think, um, I think the audience will come and, and see, the show is all about the characters. Um, I like, you know, as the director, I went in saying that there are no leads. This is a fully ensemble show and everyone, it's a line in there, everyone is special. Everyone has their own story and everyone gets to tell the story. And I think, I think uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun uh, telling all of those stories to, to the audience.
3: And they're just so relatable as well. I mean, with this show, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll you know hit too close to home. <laughs> it's very yeah. relatable and it, it, it's wonderful to see everything come together and have there be a story that everybody can relate to.
0: Yeah, however you live your life, you're you're on that room with a white line no matter what you think, right? And that's one of the great things about the storytelling too. So thank you very much. I have to mention I saw Into the Woods and I was blown away that the band and the orchestra could continue for almost three hours with all that music. That's a very complicated story, the Sondheim thing. Mm -hmm. And I marveled at how they held up for those. So this is another big job. The music is really great there. So once again thebradleyplayhouse.org is the website for all the information you need. And I'll be there. We have our tickets already. So I wish you a great run and we'll have you back later in the year thank Thank you very much much. okay mark thanks for hanging in on the phone again
2: no problem at all okay everyone comes to see the show you'll really enjoy it you bet
0: we'll be talking it up okay okay well uh thanks a lot to matt also our our engineer we had some new equipment set in here and the telephone has been a little warpy there a little star wars kind of stuff going on but he kept his cool he's unflappable and uh, we got the phone call in with with mark so thanks for hanging in with that we have a segment coming up on maternal and child care here in the area. The health care system is going through big changes. But first, we'll take a couple of short messages. We'll be right back. Okay. So very good. Thank you, guys. Okay, we're back live on the home front here on WECS, uh, WILI, I should say. Well, you know, that's a good point to make here. I'm here on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 here at WILI, AM 1400. We're also on YouTube, as you may know, and if you go to YouTube, you can subscribe. Every new show can be sent to you, and all of our 5 to 6 o'clock shows are available to you through YouTube now. So you can get it live when you can, but you can get it on YouTube anytime to keep informed with everything that's happening here. But in between this show and the show I do at WECS, which is on Wednesdays from 12 to 3, uh, we've been looking at maternal and child health care, which is going through major changes in eastern Connecticut. Hospitals are changing what services they're providing, how you can access them. There's lots of stress right now in the health care delivery, and a major focus has been on uh, on you know, women who are pregnant, who are about to be mothers, or the newborn so today in Hartford there was a big hearing with public comments at 3 o'clock about health care changes and that involves Johnson Hospital so I'm going to get some of that hearing audio to share with you here and on WECS but what we have now for you for just a few minutes is something that I aired a few weeks ago with Susan Johnson who is uh, the host of one of our programs here on Fridays It's called Let's Talk About It with Dennis Johnson Uh, he is here with her on uh, Fridays and uh, they look at issues, but she's really focused on health care. And in the studio with us was Brenda Bookbinder from Windham United to Save Our Health which is a coalition of 13 different groups across our region, all working to advocate for health care. So this audio is there as an introduction to bring people up to date about the bill that just got passed, what the situation is that involved, that created such a controversy, and how we're going to move ahead in the summer after the session is ended. So we'll go to that conversation right now with Susan Johnson and Brenda Bookbinder.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me, and I just can't uh, thank everybody enough for all the work this community has put forth to try and address these situations. But let's take a step back to when we actually found out there was something amiss with uh, the fact that uh, Harford Health had come in and kind of taken over Wyndham Hospital. And at first we thought, oh, you know, they're really helping us out here. And then as time went on, uh, one of the things that they proposed was to get rid of the intensive care unit. And so back in 2014, 2015, right in there, uh, they proposed getting rid of the intensive care unit. And uh, the doctors who were who were there working in Hartford Health uh, were all against it. They had a vote; they were against it. Uh, this is, and then we had uh, several community hearings about it. The community came out outraged that they were going to cut uh, and eliminate the ICU, and they said, "Well, we'll have a a a, a PCU, a a, a, a a kind of a, a temporary or you know something that is not quite as often as a full ICU." And uh, the PCU, uh, of course, never materialized to the extent that it should have, uh, and uh, it really should have been there more regularly, but it's not there uh, to the extent that it should be. In any event, so I went to Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman, and I said, "Look, I said this is this is very strange that they've done this to us. I said we need to do something." So we had a, a two-year task force to address how to proceed, and what we came up with with the uh, because of healthcare access didn't really function properly because they claimed that the statute didn't cover the change that the uh, corporate hospital was doing so we created the office of healthcare strategy to help balance making sure that all throughout the state of Connecticut healthcare access was balanced and so that's what the, the duty of the office of healthcare strategy is so then go a little bit further and then all of a sudden they say oh I you know, we don't have an ICU anymore, so I think we're going to have to shut down the maternity ward uh, and delivery services. So they didn't do anything about it by going through the Office of Healthcare Strategy, as they were required, and so they went ahead and just did it anyway. And uh, so they were fined by the Office of Healthcare Strategy about sixty thousand dollars. Hartford Health is now appealing that. And uh, to the, to the court, and because uh, the Office of Healthcare Strategy is a regulatory organization, and it has administrative uh, determinations, so it's not a regul. It's a court. It's an administrative process. And then you can appeal their determinations to the court. So anyway, uh, so that's where we are right now. This this is still a situation where they have gone against the law. They haven't been approved. Uh, They haven't been able to fully say how they're going to remediate the changes by not having maternity and delivery services. For example... Uh, one of the things that they talk about in terms of uh, ch- if a change is made, uh, what is going to be the consequence financially to all the providers and the people in the community? Well, guess what? It has a huge impact on our ambulance services here, uh, the Willimantic Fire Department and their ambulance services. They've taken over for a lot of the things that at one, back in the day uh, would have been done right here in town, and there wouldn't have been a need to move people out of here and uh, by ambulance service. Another thing. Thing that's occurred uh, since this is since they have shut things down and not really told people and not been um, maybe in in compliance with the emergency medical and maternity and delivery law of 1986, which is called IMTALA. Uh And what they've done is they've sent people out in labor away from the hospital, and uh, those people have had uh, births on the side of the road. They've had head-on collisions while they're in labor. Uh, but essentially, they're prob- sending them to other yeah, they Other sent them to Bacchus, yes. Okay. So anyway, so that, that's kind of like the brief history. So uh, we have been complaining, and thanks to the work of Brenda Bookbinder and the Wyndham uh, United to Save Our Health Care group, uh, they've made enough uh, fuss about this. And also the people who are working to shut down the emergency and delivery services at Sharon Hospital in Western Connecticut have made a huge fuss. And uh, so this has caught the attention of our people in public health. And we put together uh, this bill, an act protecting maternal health, which creates birthing centers. And I just think that this is one way to address this because it's not just here in Connecticut. This is happening all over the country. It is. Yes. It is. Okay. It's a
0: structural yeah. shift. Yes. And the, the highest level is how much of our health care do we want to privatize so that profit generation is as much a part of the mission as providing health
5: care? Well, let me just say to that's you that's the double bind of the oh, private sector. No? It's already privatized. Well, yeah, it's a matter it's, of degree. No, it's What's privatized time? because it's either private sector, the only two public hospitals in the state, UConn and the Veterans mm-hmm. Hospital. Only two. Everything else is private, nonprofit. Nonprofits are corporations, yeah. and they have the same rights as any other uh, corporation that's private. So this is private, private, private. The only thing that's public is the rules that we make governing them. And even those are done by a private, nonprofit hospital association group that writes the rules. And I tried to get a copy of the rules, and so far they haven't given them to me. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a pause in that I yes, understand there is that. but well, the, it is private, so that's okay. we have to really make sure that everybody knows this is private business. this is corporate business. This
0: well, that's what I'm alluding to is at the mm-hmm. national level, they're having big discussions about how to design the future of healthcare care delivery. and when they look at huge amounts of money, how it gets used, and where, then there are new decisions that can be made about how much to privatize, how much to go public. So these are long-term questions that we're in the middle of right now, which is, you know, it's always hard to bring it up on the radio because this is about today at the end of June 2023, but this thing has been going on for several years already. Well, in the insurance
5: industry has taken over. The insurance industry yep. uh, has has. Uh, created all the networks uh, with the hospital administrators the providers the doctors the nurses they're all uh, not being paid very much at all compared to the administrators in the insurance corporations those corporations are raking in the money and nobody's watching and there's all kinds of insurance plans that I could talk to you about but we're not talking about that today yeah I could spend a few hours on that yeah <laughs>
0: but I want to bring in a- a- our other guest, Brenda Bookbinder, I've had her on the program a few times over the last couple of years uh, up at WECS. It's good to have you in the studio Thank again. Thank you.
6: Good to be back, Mr. Murphy. Absolutely. So, ca- so can you talk
0: about your work leading up to this whole process?
6: Absolutely. Um, in the middle of the pandemic without a vaccine, uh, right. the the shock of hearing an announcement in the paper, a one-time announcement that the maternity unit was permanently closed, my mouth dropped. I, I just did not know what to do. And... Um, spoke to Susan and she said, well, come on the show, we'll do something about it. So that's the conversations that nobody asked the community. And so the idea of serving the community with our masks and gloves and all the protective gear started during the pandemic. And um, we have 13 community groups that uh, comprise our organization. And we have written letters, we have testified. We, on the day of the Certificate of Need hearing, we had over 20 uh, community testifiers, three minute um, Mm testifying, telling their stories, telling about the impact of, uh, you know, not having what they had for access to a safe and local maternity unit and the impact of not having family around, having an extra layer of stress and risk because sure. giving birth, it could go very simply you and never it could know. go very clearly and. Never know. And then it can go very complicated. So yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, I was at that uh, meeting about the ICU, and I remember uh, the community testimony one after the other about my life was saved because I was able to get to this ICU. sure we needed. And then when the pandemic hit, Um, ICUs were needed. Uh, There was one day that there were 200 um, shortages of of ICU beds in the state and we had not one to give them. There was not one here. So um, all of that, I mean, the corporation could have just retracted and said, look, we're in a pandemic. We'll we'll, we'll restore that to get through the pandemic and then we'll make other decisions. But once they have closed, they close things. Um,
0: Well, you know, one thing the pandemic did painfully is expose all the flaws or weaknesses or inadequacies in what's been designed up to now
6: yes indeed um the former maternity unit became the um uh covid vaccine ward some of the posters were still up about childbirth, <laughs> and I'm looking, I know this place. <laughs> this is where I was three times to give birth. Okay, we're talking about the tension between corporate health and public health, and we're talking about social justice, healthcare equity, and access, and equal opportunity for survival. For mother and child. I mean, this is a human rights issue as big as it gets. Um, this is not anything that uh, we could say, well, people won't have birth, they'll just go elsewhere. Uh, people will be having birth, they have for the 87 years until it was interrupted. This would have been the 90th year, with Edna Guile on April 25th, 1933, being the first birth at Wyndham Hospital. Um, Eight women joined her the next day from St. Joe's and they celebrated and this was a community hospital built by the community with community funds during the depression. And that's just so awesome about ownership and investment of a community in its healthcare. Uh, And we're so far from that now. we keep hearing that it's not safe to deliver, The numbers are dwindling, women are choosing to go elsewhere. That's the narrative we're hearing from Hartford HealthCare. We know that the structure that supported healthy and local childbirth was sent away. It was consolidated and uh, regionalized away from Wyndham. And um, all the promises of having enhanced services close to home did not happen. So. Uh, 400, 400 births in 2010, Bacchus and, and when equal numbers. We now have 500 at, um, I'm sorry, 800 at Bacchus, and we're down to 60 emergency room births. I don't know how many side of the room births, but uh, we have days that the Lifestar helicopter cannot take off, weather. Sure. Uh, they can't. And these are ones that need NICUs, and there is no NICU at Bacchus. And so, what do you do with a complicated birth? That needs a NICU and you can't get there.
0: Say what a NICU is, please. Yeah, oh, it's some lingo there. I just lost. It. I was going to ask you.
6: Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. There it's you. an ICU okay. for new babies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Babies in distress. Serious babies in distress. distress. And um, I listened to an expert on the birthing center's idea, and they said that about 80% are uncomplicated births. These are ones that can be handled in a birthing center. By a doula, a midwife, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. other professionals that are there, and uh, could be same day. And I have a new granddaughter who was born born that way um, in three hours, and an hour and a half later went home. So she had a, a, an uncomplicated birth, it was a wonderful experience, and it was a birth in water. So Brian they're Leboye. able to yeah, yes, they're mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, what happens if someone, um, Tori Bowie, the uh, Olympic athlete, in her eighth month lost her life to a eclampsia and lost the baby's life. She's a woman of color. I mean, these kind of complications may be staved off with really good prenatal care at a birthing center. They do a lot of preventive and um, sustaining care, which is user-friendly. I think a lot of people, particularly uh, minorities, poor immigrants, are nervous about hospitals, don't Sure. feel the language barriers, they yeah. don't feel comfortable in them, and you know, the idea of not only not being here, but being shipped away or up in the air to some place they don't know and family can't get there. That's right. It's stress on top yeah. of, a, of a risk situation, yeah. and uh, no woman should have to go through that, no family should have to go through that. Um, so um i want to talk about the stretch initiative really quickly yes, please. That's, this is uh, another that's a, uh win for public health and that's the,
0: many states together too yes, yes
6: uh there were 10 states picked by the national government and the uh, cdc uh, uh, the center, center for disease control uh picked connecticut as one of them and to spend a year from december 2021 till this january uh having conversations with communities really listening to them and asking, you know, are there ideas that you have? Is there something you would need differently in this community to make things more fair? And the Department of Public Health has those results. We're waiting to get the report from that, but they're looking at a possible level two of that. Sure. Of the Connecticut uh, DPH and OHS and a couple of other agencies to continue talking to communities, which is really just a wonderful thing. STRETCH stands for Strategies to Repair Equity. And transform community health and that's what we're talking about
0: well I want to thank uh, Susan Johnson and Brenda Bookbinder for being here today we'll be able to have them back in the future as things move along during the summer and the fall but I thank you for your good work and we look forward to continuing our conversation so much
6: it is an honor to be part of this community and the communities of the Greater Wyndham area and for all the women and families that are looking for the help that we're we're fighting for so um,
5: we're with you yeah thanks for having us
0: Okay. All righty, that was a segment from a program we had here a couple of weeks ago, an edited highlight with Susan Johnson, our state representative of the 49th District, including Wyndham, uh, state deputy majority leader, as well as Brenda Bookbinder. She's a member of a coalition of 13 organizations called Wyndham United to Save Our Healthcare. That is the name of their Facebook group, if you want to stay in touch with their group. Uh, They had a hearing today in Hartford dealing with Johnson Memorial Hospital and similar changes being proposed there. So this is a conversation that I'll share with you periodically uh, throughout the year to track health care, which is a really important issue for all of us here on the program. Okay, well, we have some time left today. I want to share some notes and news with you. If if you get out a piece of paper, there's some information for you. I should mention that we have a new copy of Neighbors out right now. It's a wonderful resource. It's a publication that we have throughout the year. This is the summer issue for July and August, and it covers all 22 towns. It's available for free. If you ever miss a copy in print, you can always get it online at NeighborsPaper.org. I'm sorry, NeighborsPaper.com is the website, and they have an archive of all presentations previous issues. It's got lots of good information. You can plan each month well in advance. That's neighborspaper.com. But I do have some things to let you know about. The folks up at the Mansfield Downtown Partnership, they have their summer concerts in the Square Series going through July on Thursday nights from 630 to 8 p.m. Up at Betsy Patterson Square at the Turnaround at 195, and for the 13th of July it's Seth Adam, for the 20th the Awin Family Band, and the series ends on July 27th with the Funky Dogs Brass Band. That's Thursday nights at 6:30, up in stores. Now, also, I'm very happy to have the Poetry and the Park Series back at the Julia de Burgos Park. They had the first gathering on June 22nd, and the next one is Thursday, July 27th at 6.30, right here in town, about a mile and a half from our studios at the corner of Jackson and uh, Curbstone Way. And this particular gathering will feature, will feature Allison Myers and Antoinette Brimbell. Allison was here, as you know, for, for many, many years. Everyday books, a wonderful writer, a very big part of our community for a long time. It will be very nice to have Allison back here in the area. So that's with everybody else in that beautiful park for Julio de Borgos, the 27th at 6.30. The Wyndham Theater Guild has just received a $50,000 grant to help them with their facilities and presentation. It's a great regional theater group, and they're going to kick off a new season July 28th with Young Frankenstein, a musical comedy. It's a hoot of a show, a lot of fun, a lot of ways to ham it up in style and pay honor to Mel Brooks as well. That'll be the 28th. They'll be here in the studio later this month on the 26th. We'll have the director there and some cast members, and they'll talk about... uh, who got to be Peter Boyle in The Young Frankenstein. But that's Wyndham Theatre Guild coming back. It would be great to have them in the house. It starts the 28th and goes again to August 12th. Earlier, we mentioned before, uh, we have a chorus line at the Bradley Playhouse, August 4th to the 13th. Go to thebradleyplayhouse.org and you'll get all their information on that. And also for the summer, this program was just renewed from the state legislature. It's called the Connecticut Summer at the Museum Program. It was signed into law by Governor Lamont again this year. It means you can have kids under the age of 18. If they're accompanied by one adult, they get in free to most museums across the state all summer running through September 4th. So if you want to search on this to find out the museums, just put in CT Summer at the Museum. C.T. summer at the museum. You get all the museums, some very nice day trips, and everybody gets in for free. So it's a good chance to celebrate the arts here across Connecticut. And we have a good chunk of time left to enjoy the summer also want to mention the Community Foundation of Eastern Connecticut was recently awarded a $1 million grant from the Connecticut Social Equity Council. They receive a portion of state cannabis sales, and these funds are being dedicated for the foundation to use to support the arts, wellness, and health and other aspects of living here. They have applications that will be open in uh, August and September. So they've received an extra million dollars. They were the only community foundation to get this extra money. So it's a great opportunity in our part of the state. If you're working with the arts or youth programming, youth education, recreation, mental health, check out their website for the Community Foundation of Eastern Connecticut and find out about how to apply in August or September. It's a great opportunity. Okay, uh, we're going to take a musical break before we close out the show. Take a couple of minutes. One of my favorite writers is Mose Allison. This is a really good tune this day. It's called How Much Truth Can One Man Stand? It's very good today when you watch the news to have this song in the background. So, Mose Allison, take it away.
4: How much truth can a man stand Sitting by there. Nothing but perpetual motion in pain Insane How much truth can a man
0: Okay, Mose Allison, thank you very much. This one of his best albums is called Western Man. If you like that song, he's got a bunch. Some food for thought with a little love, tongue on cheek and a little cold observational humor. Thank you, Mose a couple of more items i want to mention too if you want to get involved use the email it's john at humanartsmedia.com i'm getting stuff all the time that people want to have announcements if you want to come in here and share the story what i have here really is a storytelling engine each week we open the doors and it's really about our guests if you're on the show we're on youtube if you're watching us hello You can get a link to share your story in your own media. So it's kind of where we're becoming a resource for you to become your own media production. So we hope you can do that. Just use email to join john at humanartsmedia.com. So before we go, I want to give you two more announcements about work in the field. One is about a folk and traditional arts community impact coordinator. So this is 15 hours a week of work for somebody who's connected to folk music and traditional arts, and they want to connect with traditional communities across eastern Connecticut. So the deadline to apply is Monday, July 31st. If you're a folk musician, if you're tied to traditional arts, this might be an opportunity for you. Maybe you know someone. So have them contact the Cultural Coalition serving Southeastern and Northeastern Connecticut. I'll, I'll give out their website in a second. The other one is there are some grants coming up here. The Connecticut Humanities Council has a quick grants program. The deadline is August 4th. They have a program for the National Endowment for the Arts called Our Town about bringing art to local towns and cities. That deadline is August 3rd. And the last one is from the New England Foundation for the Arts. It's called uh, the New England States Touring Grant. That deadline is August 1 for all the six New England states. So if you want to find out more about these opportunities, go to the coalition's website. It's S E C T. It's kind of an anagram, cultural coalition serving southeastern and northeastern Connecticut. So it's culturesec.org. Write that one down. You'll get grants and news all year long. You can even sign up for a newsletter, and they'll send it to you every month with all this great information that I get to share with you once in a while on the radio. So thanks to Matt Rupar, my co-producer behind the scenes, for dealing with our telephones today. We're going to have some sports news here, an update of sports news, and we'll see you next week.